clinch the new york yankees blow a huge lead to the boston red sox the wild card races are still crazy but everybody wants to hear about john Heyman's breakfast with alex rodriguez so here on episode five that's what we're going to lead off with john you have the floor to discuss your now infamous breakfast with a rod yeah i guess so and, and i i blew the story because this was 11 years ago i recall i think it was around 2005 um we agreed to go to breakfast at the regency which was kind of a yankees hotel at the time uh, george steinberg stayed at the regency when he came into town and if i recall right alex lived at the trump uh, park avenue about two blocks south of uh, the regency so that's where we met and uh the subject of uh, country breakfast uh billy butler being traded to the yankees came up yesterday whether that fits in in New York with their $20 breakfast or $40 breakfast or whatever. And this was $161 breakfast, as I recall. And uh, the amazing part was uh, uh, what Alex ate and, uh, and, and the order in which he ate it. He had an omelet, then a soup, omelet, soup. Omelet. I don't remember what kind of omelet it was or what kind of soup. I think it was a chicken noodle soup. I think it was a healthy soup. Uh, the omelets, I don't recall what kind they were, but I, I recall five omelets, five soups. My wife recalls, uh, and she wasn't there, but I told her the story, and she has a better memory. She thought he also ordered three oatmeals. I, I don't know. I might have exaggerated to her at that moment, but I do remember the omelet and the soup, and I remember his wife, Cynthia, was with us at the time, at least at the beginning. This was a rather lengthy breakfast, as you can imagine. And she ordered something small and dietetic and kind of picked at it and then probably got bored by our conversation and left. I think I had a cereal, and uh, total cost was 161 dollars uh, i was happy to do it uh we talked about uh what the yankees needed to do that winter if i recall and i think he was kind of stumping for johnny damon who's a, a very very good friend of his and to come to the yankees and hoping that the yankees would sign johnny damon and it, it was successful from that standpoint successful from the uh, fact that i treated and also johnny damon did end up coming to the yankees i don't know if alex rodriguez convinced them uh, the only other thing I recall is that Matthew Broderick was at, at a nearby table, but I don't think he noticed uh, Alex's diet. Uh, I did, though. I, it was unforgettable. Is soup for breakfast, is that a thing in New York? <laughs> not in New York. It's not a New York thing. I, you know, I can't question it. He, the guy was in incredible shape at that time, still in very good shape. Uh, maybe it works for him. Um, you know, I, I, I think the eggs were probably not... Uh, you know, really bad for your type. I think he probably had uh, egg whites and uh, vegetables with them. And uh, he just, you know, he had a nice appetite and uh, he obviously worked out a lot and played hard and it worked for him. So I can't question it. It, it, No, in answer to your question, it is not a New York thing. I guess when you work out all the time, you can have big diets like that. I know I've heard of the the Michael Phelps 10,000 calorie diet and I was gonna say I I could eat like half of that at a breakfast, and you know I'm not looking like uh, some of these guys, so I don't know. Maybe I have to to, to uh, well, go, go for the five for five. Um, so what's the kind of the reaction you're getting from this? Because I know a lot of people that was the first thing everybody want to talk to you about yesterday was was the breakfast. So what are some? Yeah, of the, well, I'm getting a lot of uh, radio requests, which I didn't do because I wanted to save it for the podcast. But I did confirm that he did finish all the omelets and uh, all of the uh, soup. To, uh, I believe it was MLB Network Radio. 
uh, with Jim Duquette. Other than that, I wanted to save this for us. Uh, this is the big story of the day, obviously, in baseball. <laughs> is I'm there, kidding when I say that. Yeah. Is there, uh, there anything else you're holding out from us? Any other kind of uh, food I, stories? I think that my memory needs to be jogged, I, with, like it was with the country breakfast and the Billy Butler and the expensive best breakfast in New York. But uh, as it comes up, I will let you know. Your wife's got the better memory. We might have to ask oh her. Oh, my God. Yep. Not me. <laughs> So what's uh, any word on what A-Rod's up to these days? I know there are people still think that he's going to come back. Any Anything new with him? Is he working I've out? already told people that he's done playing, but I do know he's in Miami working out uh, at the Equinox in uh, probably near Carl Gables where he lives. And uh, I'm sure he's in nice shape eating big breakfasts, but uh, I don't believe that he's going to play next year. Um, it's a kind of funny that they probably could have used him uh, now, uh, with Judge going out with the injury, needing right-handed bat, and they went and signed the country breakfast, uh, the less ex expensive breakfast man, Billy Butler, uh, because uh, they needed some right-handed power. But uh, I, I think he's done playing, and uh, I think ultimately he wants to be an owner or operate a baseball team if he can. I know his relationships have improved with uh, Hal Steinbrenner and Yankee people and people around baseball, so I wouldn't rule it out. Now, what we thought the big story was going to be and what we'll turn to now is your inside baseball column, um, top 30 free agents, and your early guesses for what their contracts might look like. Ioannis Cespedes topped the list as number one just because we can safely assume that he will opt out of his deal. Um, your early guess there was $100 million for four years. Generally speaking, what are some of the bigger beefs that you're hearing that people are complaining about with your rankings or your contracts? Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of beefs, and I always do when I do these uh, predictions of dollars. Everybody's got an opinion, and some years I do okay, some years I'm way off, and in uh, some years I've gone over. This year, they a lot of people think I'm under. I, I'm very cognizant of the qualifying offer. Uh, obviously, we don't have a new deal in place, but if assuming we're operating under the old deal and we still have the qualifying offer, maybe the new deal will have that. It does tend to hold the contracts down a bit uh, on those good, very good type players, but maybe not superstar type players. So maybe that affected me, but uh, I'm d getting some pushback on a lot of, uh, of, of my predictions. One was on Ziegler and his 18 million for three years. I think I had uh, some people are saying that's low. Um, I think some people are saying Trumbo for three years, $45 million is low, and I could see that. I think I could, could have been low on both of those. Um, I'm getting pushback on Matt Wieters, and that's an interesting one. I, I think I had three years for $30 million for him, and last year he just took the qualifying offer. Uh, this year I, I think he probably will not get the qualifying offer. I think Baltimore was a little surprised that he took it. Uh, last year, and they do have a Chancisco, uh, a very good catching prospect, so uh, they could they could offer him the qualifying offer and, and be happy having him back for a year, but I'm not sure that they're going to do that. Uh, it's There's a wildly divergent opinions on what Matt Wieters is worth, because after I, I got some pushback on the 3 for 30, I said to myself, wow, I didn't think that was so far off, so I checked with a few agents, not his own agent, it was Scott Borth, but other agents, and they agreed that it should be much higher than he'll do much much better than three for 30 and yet i checked with two executives one had a little bit lower than me and one had one year at eight million way lower than me so i think with weeders it's all over the board i think what one agent said to me is probably true it only takes one and if you look at his record he has it 15 home runs and 60 rbis four times he has made i believe 
three all-star teams. I think he's won two gold gloves or perhaps the reverse of that, three gold gloves and two all-star teams. But uh, he has a pretty good record. He's only 30 years old, and uh, qualifying offer could affect it. And I, I would say at this point that has been my most controversial one uh, at three for 30, although I've gotten pushed back on a lot of them. But I, I would say today, if I were to make that prediction over, I might go a little bit higher than three for 30. When do you think that these things actually start to come together that – whether it's teams, agents, whatever, have a better understanding of what a player is worth? Because right now, obviously, with Matt Wieters, you're saying people are going one year, $8 million, and some are saying three for 30 is way too low. So I guess when do you think that we can get a, a better idea of where these guys stand? Yeah, well, uh, we won't get a great idea until they probably actually sign unless there's word leaking out about offers. That happened early last year with Chris Davis with the 7 for 154, I believe it was, and then eventually signed for 7 for 161. But uh, many of them uh, are not leaked out at all, and we don't really know until a little bit before uh, the, the player signs. Um, it depends on really what comes out about each guy and how much interest there is on each player and how much news coverage there is. Sometimes a little bit before, sometimes just like a bolt of lightning, it comes out with nothing. Uh, you know, we are not allowed to talk about it until uh, the players are free agents after the end of the World Series, a few, several days after the end. So uh, by rules, they're not allowed to speak to teams. Um, you know, I'm not sure that precludes them from getting some kind of a gauge or some kind of thought, uh, some kind of idea uh, what, where, the, where it might be headed. But uh, for now, uh, there is not a legal talk about uh, the contract. Some of these I thought were a little low, but then I, I thought about it, and I, I wonder how much money is actually going to be spent this offseason, and that's probably something that people wonder every offseason, and I think money gets spent no matter what. But because it's the offseason before – the big one um that makes me wonder i guess what teams are going to be spending are the yankees going to be spending probably not um are these teams with big money the cubs spent all their money not all their money spent a bunch of money last offseason so when you look at the big market teams whether they're going to be players or not i just don't know if there's going to be a ton of teams giving out huge contracts this offseason yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of money in baseball. The teams are doing very well. Uh, by and large, the teams are quite profitable. Obviously, there are teams that are disappointed with their standing this year, and there are teams that are close uh, to becoming uh, World Series contenders, not quite there, and they might have more incentive to spend. I think uh, the real lag this year is that it's not a great market. Uh, obviously, Steven Strasburg, uh, the top pitcher, is off the market. That being said, uh, the pitching market with Strasburg out and signed to Washington for seven more years is probably the weakest in, in memory. Um, you've got a couple of good pitchers. Nova's obviously done well lately. Uh, Hellickson is solid. Uh, Bartolo Colon is kind of a miracle, but he's in his 40s, so we're not thinking more than probably a one-year deal for him. So it's the weakest uh, starting pitching market probably ever. And overall, um, it's not a strong market. There are some outfielders. There is some power in there. There are some relievers. Uh, the catching market is very good. Uh, obviously, I talked about Weeders. Wilson Ramos is the top guy. He's had a great year and will do very well uh, there. And uh, Weeders will probably do well as well, probably be a little better than I said. And uh, so there are, there are some guys who are 
uh, going to help themselves. There is some money, and I wouldn't uh, dispute that uh, the teams will spend that money. Wilson Ramos, number three on your list. Your early guess for him is four years, $68 million. I would think that he would get better than Russell Martin's deal, which was, I think, five years and $82 million with Toronto. I think that Ramos is having a better contract year. I know he's two years younger. Um, not the defensive catcher that Martin was, and I know that defense was a huge topic at that point, and teams are moving more towards the defensive for catchers. But when you look at, I guess, comparison that way, do you think that he can get a bigger deal than that, or do you think that's because of the certain teams that could be interested that there's just not um, the right fit to get a big contract like that? Yeah, I mean, I think there are two things weighing against him. It's hard to identify the exact team that's going to do it, and that necessarily it won't hurt him, uh, but it may, uh, because we just may not be thinking of it. You, you don't know. We didn't know Toronto was going to go so big for Russell Martin. Toronto had a particular interest in Martin. He was Canadian. Um, Martin had that huge year, you'll recall, had the 400 on base percentage and a terrific uh, pitch framer and has a great reputation for working with pitchers. Um, you know, uh, I would say with Ramos's case, he did not have a great year last year. Uh, Washington was even looking at the catching market. So uh, I, I looked at it as he's had this one huge year. He is young, and the potential is obviously there, and it's really been uh, realized this year. So that's why I uh, had him at less than uh, – Martin and uh, McCann, who had also had a big year in his walk year and had been a much more consistent performer. But uh, in light of the fact that there aren't a lot of stars on this market beyond the outfielders with power, um, there are a lot of catchers. Uh, I, I think you might be right. I might be a little bit light uh, in Ramos, too. I'm not sure he's going to beat uh, Martin, but he may be closer than uh, the $68 million. Another interesting case, I think, is Mark Trumbo in that we're at a traditional stat versus maybe new school argument here when it comes to his free agency. He's got the 42 home runs um, leading the league. He's an all-star, um, batting 248, 311 on base percentage, and as you pointed out, I think a 1.1 uh, wins above replacement. So how do you think – teams will look at him um does he have a place where he can play defensively does he take a little bit less to stay in baltimore which seems to be a park that fits him uh quite well um i guess how does how do you think this one's going to shake out because i think it's just interesting where our team's going to look at that big number of 42 homers or are they going to look at 1.1 wins above replacement low on base guy um tough to find a place for him defensively yeah, I think they look at all the numbers, including the war. And uh, I love Trumbo. I think he's terrific in the clubhouse. I think he's serviceable at first base. Um, he's serviceable in the outfield. Um, and obviously he has big, big power. Um, the reason I only had three for 45, first, I do think he will be saddled with a qualifying offer, which will weigh on it a little bit. And there is the 1.1 war, uh, which I definitely think that underrates him. I do think he is more, much more valuable than that. Um, I do like war, but I think this is not an exact science, so I don't think that's an exact valuation of Trumbo. And I also looked at what he was traded for. He was traded for a backup catcher, uh, Clevenger, and so he was basically a salary dump at his salary this year, which is uh, somewhere close to $10 million. I don't have it in front of me, somewhere close to $10 million. He was basically almost a giveaway at that point. So 
I think that the reputation of not great on defense and the war numbers, I think, will hurt him. So that's why I was at three for 45. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's another one I've gotten a little bit of pushback on that he's going to do better than that. And then the other, I guess, individual I think has a, an interesting case, and he had an interesting case last year, and that's Dexter Fowler. Last year, teams didn't want to give him a, a long-term deal. Um, one of the last guys to sign uh, on a one-year deal with an option with the Cubs and kind of a surprise move. And I think a lot of people looked at that as a, a luxury signing for the Cubs that, okay, sure. And it turns out that, you know, Joe Madden says, you go, we go when it comes to him. And he's been a huge catalyst for him. And who knows where they'd be without him, especially after losing Kyle Schwarber. So you've got him for two years, $24 million. It's it's tough, in my opinion. Is a team going to give him four years? I don't know. If a team can get him on a two-year deal, I think that they'd be willing to pay more um, on a short-term deal. Has his perception changed at all out there in terms of teams more willing to give him a long-term deal after his his All-Star season? Yeah, I mean, I think he's a very good player. I, I don't think he's generally seen as a, a great defender in center field. Um, he's acceptable in center. Uh, he obviously has speed. He's good for a clubhouse. Had a, a very nice first half. Um, I was surprised how the market treated him last year. And I guess I kind of looked at it like, well, you know, he's had another good year. Probably will treat him similarly. And I looked at a similar deal and him not putting the biggest emphasis on the top dollars. Maybe he'll want to go back to the Cubs again. Uh, maybe he'll take a little bit less. Uh, I could see him getting a, a better deal than uh, the two for 24 that I put there. That's probably a baseline deal. He's probably uh, going to do better than that. But uh, he was not able to hit a home run last year off of a good season as well. So um, I'm not exactly sure why, but I think the defense, uh, which is adequate but not exceptional, uh, may play into that. Do you think the Cubs will be a player there because the Cubs have Kyle Schwarber they anticipate coming back um, if they want. Wilson Contreras is a serviceable outfielder, but the big one is Albert Elmora. Do you give Dexter Fowler a two- or three-year deal when you assume that Elmora is ready for the full-time job in either next year or two years? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've all kind of assumed that it be a, a little bit of a long shot for him to be back there. Obviously, they obviously love him. He obviously loves being there. Uh, the fact Hayward really has not produced this year could play into that. The, the outfield has been the one area which has been overall not great. Every other area has been great for the team, and it's certainly not a reflection of Fowler who's had a good year. So, um, you know, he seems to want to be there, so I wouldn't rule it out. Um, I could I could still see it possibly uh, happening. Almora, I think, is going to be a decent player. I'm not sure if he's there yet. The other big one for looking at the next offseason, the closing market. Aroldis Chapman, Kenley Jansen, and Mark Melanson. Jansen and Chapman getting four-year deals, uh, Melanson getting three-year deals. It's it's pretty uh, intriguing here. Chapman has the big fastball. He's left-handed, but he's got a little bit of baggage still. Uh, Kenley Jansen, big arm, qualifying offer um, attached. Melanson, no qualifying offer attached, a little bit older. So Right here, you have Chapman number seven, Jansen number nine, Melanson number twelve. I guess how do you see that one? That one shaking out, Especially, specifically, I guess Chapman versus Jansen. And is there a, a chance that Melanson sneaks up there because of no qualifying offer? 
Right. Well, Chapman also has no qualifying offer. As True. you mentioned, he does have that little baggage with him. I shouldn't say little. He does have some baggage. Mm -hmm. um, he has done well with the Yankees and with the Cubs with no issues. Um, so I should say that as well. Um, you know, I think uh, that ultimately, uh, based on the trade markets, uh, that Melanson uh, isn't as viewed as uh, quite as valuable as Chapman. And I think looking at the record, I mean, Jansen's doing it in a big market consistently. He's been an excellent performer. Uh, Melanson, as you said, a little bit older. That's why I gave him three years. I wouldn't rule out four years uh, for him without that qualifying offer. That's what makes it, I think, extra difficult now. Does, uh, without the qualifying offer, how much of, a, of an advantage is that? I think Jansen is still going to do great. Obviously, Robertson got $46 million with a qualifying offer attached, and uh, Papelbon got $50 million, and that's uh, the record for a reliever. Uh, I could see two out of the three of these get, breaking that record. I don't think Melanson will break that record based on what he was traded for, but uh, uh, he is a very, very good closer. But uh, he has not been as consistently good as the other two. I think the other two have been uh, a little bit more dependable over their entire career. Melanson was, has been excellent the last few years, but the, uh, Jansen has basically always been excellent, and same with Chapman. So I'm seeing Ch Chapman and Jansen uh, breaking the record probably and uh, getting $50 million or more. Looking around at the rest of your inside baseball um, column on today's knuckleball, some of the other topics, one I guess actually wasn't mentioned here because it broke late yesterday. A.J. Preller, a 30-day suspension without pay, uh, the GM of the San Diego Padres. I guess if you can dummy it down or simplify it, what exactly did he do and how, se <laughs> and how serious of an offense is it? I saw some people say, who cares, every team does this. I saw some people say he should get a bigger uh, suspension or, or a bigger punishment than the St. Louis Cardinals got for their hacking scandal. So I guess what a, what all yeah. happened here and how, how big of a deal is it? Yeah, I'm not going to have to dummy it down because there isn't that much information that's come out about this. We know, uh, and, I, and we all know, that uh, he uh, was found guilty because he was suspended or, for 30 days without pay. So uh, the charge was that he withheld information. Was he not candid enough? Did he hide the information? You know, I'm not sure the extent of, of his withholding uh, and his lack of candor. But obviously, Major League Baseball uh, made the judgment, and they, the Padres and A.J. Peller have accepted this judgment, uh, not that they had much choice, but uh, MLB did a, quite an extensive uh, investigation on this, and they just gave him a rather severe penalty of a 30-game uh, suspension without pay. So based on that, uh, they felt that obviously it was serious. I don't think we can draw any other conclusion uh, than that. And, you know, I would say that uh, Dave Dombrowski uh, was uh, obviously the one who complained about this in Boston, uh, was, uh, involved the trade of Drew Pom Pomerantz, who has pitched and has not had any issue in getting on the mound and throwing a decent number of innings, especially considering his career has not shown a lot of innings. So um, that being said, obviously Dombrowski was upset about something. He's not the kind to complain. Uh, he did complain in this case, and MLB did side with him, and giving him this rather harsh penalty uh, tells you that they weren't very happy with the way San Diego conducted this matter. What does a 30-day suspension in September for the Padres GM mean at this point? Is it, is it mostly a fine because you're not getting that income? 
I guess what other where does this really hurt the Padres not having him for 30 days? Well, they should be preparing for their future right now. Uh, obviously, they did a lot uh, at the deadline, uh, made some moves. They've got to prepare uh, for some more moves. They want to do some more uh, rebuilding. Uh, they're going to trade some people. Uh, the catcher, Norris, uh, will probably be traded. Um, if they can find someone, he's batting about 130 in the second half. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure that in September the Padres – and, and for half of October, that uh, it's going to mean that much. It's like throwing an, ump- uh, an umpire throwing a manager out of a game. You know, he's sitting in right there. I mean, is he never going to uh, signal to somebody or anything? And does it really matter that much? You'll have the bench coach who knows what he wants to do anyway. Uh, you know, I, I think it maybe it's somewhat symbolic, and uh, it just does not look good at all. I think that's the main thing, and it's kind of a blight on his, uh, not kind of, it really is a blight on his record to be suspended by the league office for a this length of time. And that's his second suspension, so maybe, I don't, certainly doesn't make it any better. Um, nope, looking true. Looking at the potential managing scene, a name that I think comes up with every potential opening is Tori Lovello, the the Red Sox um, coach. Is he everyone's top candidate? Kind of reminds me of Jason McLeod. That every time a front office position comes up, it's it's McLeod that's going to be brought up. Is this how it's going to be with Lovello until he takes a job? Yeah, you know what I kind of think so because uh, he had a tryout last year. We know that John Farrell had to leave uh, due to the lymphoma situation, which uh, thank God is obviously doing much better, uh, and he is managing now, but uh, his good friend Lovello came in there uh, and managed out a difficult Red Sox season. The team was doing terribly. Uh, It was a lost cause. That's a difficult situation, particularly in Boston. Uh, He managed very respectfully, did not take John Farrell's office, impressed a lot of people in Boston and, and around the game, and I do think he will be at or near the top of any team's list, uh, whether it be Atlanta uh, or any other team that will be looking for a manager. And I think Atlanta at this point, we know we have an interim, Brian Snicker, who's done a pretty good job, but I think that the likelihood is that they do change managers. Toronto's an interesting situation. He's got connection to both Toronto and to the Cleveland guys who came to Toronto and to Ben Charrington, who was just hired in Toronto. So uh, they obviously have John Gibbons, who they tell me they think he's done a good job this year. He, he was not hired by them. He was hired by Alex Anthopoulos. Uh, the Blue Jays are hanging by a thread right now in terms of the playoffs. They look like they probably will make it, but uh, no guarantees. If they don't make it, um, you know, I think all bets are off. They say that... Uh, Gibbons uh, will come back if he wants to, or that's at least what the indication is. But uh, uh, I, you know, I kind of think that was a little bit of faint praise. And uh, I, I'm wondering if they don't make the playoffs, I would say Lavella would be a an obvious candidate with a connection to Charrington and to Shapiro and uh, and to uh, Toronto, where he worked previously as well. So. A lot of connections there, and that would be a natural fit. You know, the Boston, Toronto, Cleveland uh, axis is alive. So, uh, to me, that would be the one that makes the most sense. But I agree with you. I think he's the name that comes up with just about any opening that occurs. How do you see the managing carousel going this offseason? Because I think think it's a little surprising that Freddie Gonzalez is the only manager who's been let go so far this season. Um, Usually I feel like you see more than that. And there's – 
I can see some of these guys on the hot seat staying. I can see Walt Weiss staying, Chip Hale staying, uh, Brian Price staying. I wouldn't be surprised if all three were gone. So is how do you see it kind of falling out? Do you think there are going to be a lot of jobs available, not a lot of jobs available, or you wouldn't be surprised either way? Yeah, as I said, I think the likelihood is that Atlanta will will have an opening mm-hmm. uh, for manager. I think, as I said, they like what Snicker has done, but I would be surprised if they made him the full-time manager. We will see about that. Uh, again, these are just educated guesses on my part. I think Walt Weiss is uh, well-liked by the players. I think he's liked by ownership. The front office did not pick him, so I think that's always going to be a question. Uh, I, I have not heard anything to... Uh, think that he is going to be fired, but I think that is a question. Um, I would say that uh, Brian Price, again, I'm not hearing anything negative uh, in terms of the likelihood that he would be let go. Um, you know, I, I think he had a little bit of issue there when he went a little nutso on a writer, and uh, he's bounced back. I, I watched them a bit, and they've been rather streaky. They've had some good moments in the second half, but I think everybody knew they were rebuilding, and He's kind of gone along with the program, so I, I think that more likely than not that he would stay. That's no guarantee. Chip Hale obviously has been a question since June and since the rumors came out that he could be in trouble. Um, but I, at this point, I would say obviously their season has been a disaster. Uh, we know the front office uh, has had their options delayed. We'll see what happens there. But at this point, I, I would say that Hale's got a shot to keep his his job, despite the fact the team has not performed this year. We know that he did a great job last year, and a lot of people could look at the, this year as not his fault with the injuries and the other things that have gone on with the underperformance of Shelby Miller and some of the others. Uh, they just really had a, a, a kind of a jinxed year for whatever reason, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if Hale stayed. Uh, but that being said, no guarantees. You know, the White Sox, I think, are a, a question. Um, Jerry Reinsdorf has been extremely loyal. They love Robin Ventura there. Uh, he's obviously a terrific gentleman and a great baseball person. But I would say that uh, after a first excellent season, uh, the last four have been rather uh, disappointing. And I would say at this point, uh, we'll all be a little surprised if they didn't make a change. One team that it doesn't sound like they'll make a change is the Minnesota Twins. They like Paul Molitor, um, as you noted, that they're giving the indication that no matter who their GM or front office looks like, Paul Molitor is to stay. But what do you make of some of these guys, Ben Sherrington, a couple other names thrown out there, that they're turning down interviews for the Twins? Um, I think it's a combination of factors. Uh, some of it could be geography. I think in Sherrington's case, I think it's uh, that he didn't really uh, want to dive back in and be a general manager at this moment. It's a very, very difficult, all-consuming job. He has a young family, and I do think that is the main factor. Uh, he went where he's comfortable. He uh, had worked for uh, Mark Shapiro, I believe, in Cleveland. Uh, he knew those guys very well, and, uh, you know, there is that Boston-Toronto uh, connection, so I'm not surprised there. Another name, and I know that Jerrington did turn down the opportunity to talk, the other name that's come out at least publicly, uh, David Forrest from Oakland, well, he's already a general manager in Oakland, and, you know, he's in the Bay Area. There are just some people who love California and uh, don't want to go to the cold weather. I don't not really know if that's the reason. I think it's more likely than not he's already a general manager, uh, so, you know, I do think that uh, Minnesota, it is logical for them look at, to look at other general managers, particularly since they are 
considering the two-tiered system with the chief baseball officer or president of baseball operations at the top. There's nothing wrong with them looking at general managers, but, you know, I think there are a lot of general managers that would turn it down anyway. But uh, the other factors are their pitching is really not good. Uh, obviously, their team has not been good, uh, so the decision-making has not been good lately. And uh, they are saddled with a rather lengthy, not-so-great TV contract, from what I understand, uh, different from, let's say, Arizona, some other similar market-type teams that have much better TV deals coming. Uh, Arizona did a great job with its TV deal. Uh, Minnesota, for whatever reason, uh, did not do a good job or did not get a good TV deal for whatever reason, and that will affect the payrolls and the ability to spend going forward. The Toronto Blue Jays, uh, one of the things that you mentioned is that they are going to try to get younger next year. Uh, obviously, Michael Saunders, free agent. Jose Batista, a free agent. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion, a free agent. How do they get younger while also staying um, towards the top of the AL East? I mean, you have Russell Martin to a big contract, Troy Tulowitzki to a big contract, you still have Josh Donaldson. So they have pieces to obviously compete still, but if they want to get younger, how do you think, what are some different ways that they can do that while, while staying competitive? Yeah, you know, I thought on paper they had the best uh, team in the American League uh, this year. And uh, so far that hasn't turned out that way. They are in the race. Uh, they may get there. Uh, we will see. Their attendance has been spectacular. Their support's been spectacular. Uh, you would think that they would still try to contend next year, but everything you hear is they will try to get younger. They are not a young team right now, obviously. But they have a decent nucleus of young players. We forget that Devin Travis, that was a great trade that was made. Uh, Marcus Stroman, the pitcher, uh, pretty young guy. Uh, Pilar, center fielder, uh, is a young guy. Um, you know, not everybody on their team is, uh, is old. I mean, Tulowitzki and Martins that should still have some bullets left in them. Uh, Martins had a very nice uh, second half. Um, their pitching has been the starting pitching uh, with Sanchez, who was a, a young player. They've had a look at his innings this year, but had, they did leave him in the rotation. Uh, does not look that bad. Uh, obviously, uh, Happ is, is a veteran. Uh, Estrada is a veteran. But uh, they do have some young pieces. Uh, they got a half dozen really good young players. Now, I know people talk about the fact they traded so many guys from their system to get Tulowitzki, to get uh, – get price last year i think somebody said 13 something like that so uh they will look to replenish that system if they can uh somehow uh and uh, you know it's not easy but they are experienced hands with mark shapiro there and now Charrington and uh, atkins and all the guys that are there and they're just going to work at it but that is the scuttlebutt that they will get younger and of course if they don't sign Encarnacion, who's had a terrific year, and Bautista, who has not had a typical season, that will automatically make them younger. True. And because we let off the episode with food, we don't have to end it with food. So we'll talk Chicago Cubs. They clinched last night uh, because the St. Louis Cardinals lost to the San Francisco Giants. So looking at the possible matchups for the Cubs that they could face in the NLDS, the three wildcard contenders, the Mets, the Giants, the Cardinals, all three of them, you know, if, if people want to say, well, they're, they're still the Cubs, well, all three of the teams that they can face present unique challenges. The Giants, if they make the playoffs throwing Bumgarner or Cueto 1-2, 
that's as good as anybody else can throw. So they obviously have a chance. The Cardinals, they're the Cardinals. Um, if they get there, it's it's hard to count them out. And the Mets, they're pitching. Obviously, it's not the same as it was last year, but going Syndergaard and DeGrom also can't do much better than that. So who do you think presents the most difficult matchup for the Cubs in a potential NLDS? Well, you would think it would be San Francisco. That's the team of October. That's been the most successful team of the recent years, winning three out of the last six World Series. Uh, they've always been very good in October, at least they have in recent years. And they've added Cueto, who helped the Royals beat the Mets last year. So uh, the Giants have been pretty terrible in the second half. I've been, I keep waiting for them to turn around. But, uh, you know, having Bumgarner, having Cueto, having that history, that recent history of success, to me makes them the most dangerous uh, candidate. The Cardinals have been pretty good in the postseason uh, as well, but they have not really been themselves this year. They've been completely atypical Cardinals team with a, not playing well at home, uh, all sorts of defensive lapses, uh, very reliant on the home run, uh, very, very unusual Cardinals team. Uh, to me, they're vulnerable, and they may not make it. Uh, and the Mets, I, you know, I give them credit. They've been doing it with mirrors lately with all the injuries. Uh, we'll see what DeGrom's able to provide. I, not looking like he's going to be a starting pitcher, uh, possibly in that first round. Maybe they could think about it later if they went later, but uh, he may be in the pen. Um, obviously, Cologne has been good, but you don't think of him as a classic uh, anything pitcher, but certainly October pitcher, uh, but you can't put anything past him, and Syndergaard has been terrific. Uh, you know, the innings are starting to pile up, but uh, Mets have really been a, a miracle lately, and you got to give them credit. They've got an easy schedule, so I would say the chances to make it into that wild card game at least are pretty decent, uh, but in terms of uh, the Cubs and who they should fear, I, I don't know the Cubs should fear anybody. They've been clearly the best team, and they should be favored no matter who they play, but uh, just in October, the Giants and Mad Bum, uh, you never want to face them. I'd go that route too. John, you could check or you could check out John's inside baseball column on today's knuckleball. Tim Tebow in Florida tomorrow, you're gonna be there, right? I will be there. Yes I will. Are you excited to see him? See what he looks <laughs> like? Well it'll be interesting, I'll put it that way. Alright, so we'll have more on that. Um, check us out every Friday. We're now on iTunes and we will send that link out. So John, thanks. We will talk next week. Thanks, Tommy.